0: We have been preaching our way through the book of 1 Peter, and we have uh, two more messages to go this one, and then personnel regards. That is not a misspelling in your bulletin. I would like to share with you this morning if, if you will look at the outline you have, that yellow sheet. Let me just go down that with you and share with you a few facts about Satan. Um, sharing with you the fact that I'm not going to say everything this morning that that is to be said about Satan. I'm just we're just going to basically scratch the surface here. First of all, let me say that I'm aware that uh, some of you come from um, various backgrounds, and if you have belonged to a more liberal denomination or or some uh, um, church background that does not um, believe in the devil or a personal evil, we understand that. And as long as you believe in Jesus Christ, um, the rest is of secondary importance. But I uh, would caution you against a theology that is more sophisticated than the theology that Jesus had. Uh, Our Lord obviously believed in Satan. He talked to Satan. And therefore, if we um, think that we are much too sophisticated for that, we are running ahead of him. And that is not a very good pace to have. But secondly, um, let me share with you that we need, on the other end of the spectrum, not make Satan more powerful than he is. One of Satan's tricks is to be a bluffer and to make you think that he's more powerful than he is and in more control than he has. And many times, uh, let me just head this under the general comments about personalizing evil. Many times, what we believe is something that Satan has done, we attribute to him, and it's not something he's done. Um, there are things of this world that are going to happen simply because we live in this world. And um, they, we either have a tendency to attribute them to Satan or attribute them to God. When really they are a natural phenomena, part of the work that we have because of, uh, if you will refer to Genesis 3.19, where God said to Adam, he says, listen, by the sweat of your brow, you're going to come by your living. There are things in this world, folks, that happen and that we have to overcome just by the sweat of our brow and they are neutral. They are not a message from God. The earthquake in Mexico is not a message from God, probably not a message from God. It is neutral. You don't need to consign that to God. You don't need to consign that to Satan. That's part of the character of this world. And the character of this world is one that falls apart, that has destruction, that has um, uh, terrible things happen to us. And to consign that to Satan is to probably give him more power than he has. Let me give you two Greek words for evil. And please remember this. First of all, there is kakos, K-A-K-O-S. And that word is consigned to things that are already characterized as evil. It is evident from looking at those that they are evil things. And then there is poneros, P-O-N-E-O. R O S, Poneros, which is an evil influence that happens as we react to certain events. The Greek word for Satan, one of the Greek words for Satan is Poneros. That is, God or Satan influences us in our reaction to things that happen. That's how we can say that this is a work of Satan. He works inside, not outside. Satan does 95% of his work inside our hearts and our reaction to what is happening on the outside either can be a work of the Spirit or can be a work of Satan. So please let's not have glittering generalities and sloppy theology that just chalks up everything to one side or the other. Let's be a little bit more careful, and a little bit more discerning about the character of God and the character of Satan. Now, having said that, let's go on. By the way, 4.7 uh, is just the opposite. It says that evil can be personalized because of what's happening inside of us. Cain's offering is not accepted from God. And the Lord looks at him And his countenance has fallen, his reaction to that offering not being accepted. And the Lord says, beware, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you. See, the problem was not the offering not be accepted. The problem was the personalization of that rejection. And the fact that there was evil beginning... There was a root of bitterness beginning to take place in his heart. Now, that's when personal... When evil becomes personal. Okay? So, I want you to be able to tell the difference there. All right. Let's talk about Satan for a while. First of all, the word poneros, Satan, um, is used 50 times in Scripture. The word devil comes from the word... Diabolo, which means to cast down. And that's used 40 times. And I want you to know that when Satan went to Jesus in the wilderness, and he tempted Jesus to climb the top of a tall building and to cast yourself down so that the angels might protect you, what he, what he was trying to do was to lead Jesus in the same path he had come from and be the accuser of Jesus. So Satan's work is always to be our adversary, someone who casts us down, who begins to degenerate the positive things in our life. Let me go on. Satan is known as the god of this world. And the reason he is the god of this world is not because of his power, it's because of our choice. We make him the god of this world. It's not that he owns it, is that we choose Him rather than choose God. And it's one of those things that if you don't choose God, you've chosen Him. God likes nothing better, or Satan likes nothing better than to give us the illusion that we are be, are able to be neutral. In Isaiah 53 it talks about, and I've shared this with you before, each, we are like lambs, each one going his own way. That's what it means to be lost, folks. Being lost does not mean being condemned. It means being out of touch with the way home. And if we're not in touch with the way home and we don't know the way home, we're lost. I don't care how good a shape you're in. We're not talking about about, uh, uh, a burning fire. We're talking about an ignorance that will not let you get home. Okay, so he's the God of this world. 2 Corinthians says he's disguised as an angel of light. We're going to talk about that later. Now remember this: John eight forty four calls him a liar, the father of lies. He creates illusions for us. Um, John eight forty four calls him a murderer. He's a tempter. He's a thief. He's the ruler of this world. Now I'm not. I, there are many many names for Satan, and I'm not going to go into them all. But I just wanted you to have a few scriptural references so that you can see how heavily the New Testament depends upon this knowledge of Satan. Then I want you to see who was he. And I want you to be able to read when you go home two scripture passages that reflect upon the fall of Satan. And I want you to know that biblically speaking, at one time Satan was the most intelligent, beautiful powerful angel that God had. If Ezekiel refers to the fall of Satan and in addition to the fall of Tyree, the king of Tyree. This is addressed to the, to the fall of the king of Tyree. And evangelicals down through the centuries, including myself, have held that God, the Holy Spirit, used this writer of Scripture to give us a picture of what happened to Satan. Now some uh, literal not literal, some uh, form critics have said, "No, this, re- this just describes a historical event. I don't believe it. I believe, I believe the Holy Spirit uses Scripture to speak to us on different levels. And just my personal belief, although you do not have to believe this, my personal belief is that this really is a reflection of how Satan fell. The Isaiah passage is pretty well agreed that that is written about that, that angel that because of his own willful rebellion against God was cast down. All right? Diabolos. Therefore, what I want you to see here is that Satan did not lose those qualities when he was cast down. He just switched sides. And for the first time in the universe, there became two wills. There was not one will anymore. And when there became two wills and when a, instead of one will, time began. There was not eternity anymore. Time began. And Satan did not lose the qualities, the intelligence, or the attractiveness. We think uh, 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 in terms of Satan's unattractiveness or ugliness, but we can only see that in retrospect. When we look at Satan or when we, look at when, when we are being tempted by him, there's nothing unattractive about what he's got. He still is beautiful to us. But I want you to know just basically where he came from. All right, let's go to the, the fourth uh, section. And, and, and I want to spend most of my time on this in the next section. How does he work? There are, there are quite a few ways that I have not listed here that are scriptural. He works in hindering us from going where we would go for God. He he works in discouragement. um, He works in isolation. Works in all of those ways. But I've just listed a few that I want you to see. First of all, let me tell you a story that will set this whole thing in context. This is a true story. And I want, basically, what I want you to see is that Satan even though sometimes he is pictured from the outside sending us fiery darts, does 95% of his work on our inside, where it can be subtle and where we can rationalize it. My brother-in-law went on a uh, trip to Belize. He was a biology major at Ball State, and they had a summer trip that they could go down and they could study in in these jungles of Belize. And he got a hold of a, um, a guide that was just absolutely fascinating. She knew everything about, those, about the jungle. She'd lived her life there. She was a scientist. She was absolutely fascinating. And he told me a story one day about being on um, a, a, a learning hike with her. It's kind of like Jesus and his disciples in the old days. Jesus would walk and the disciples would trail and he would state a principle and then they would each in turn would state that principle exactly. That's what they were doing that day. And they came upon this thick piece of brush that happened just before clearing. And they got behind that piece of brush. They They were walking along and she put her hand on his shoulder and boy, he froze. And she said, stoop down. And he did. <laughs> and they looked out onto this clearing, and Mark said one of the most fascinating battles of nature he had ever seen was happening before his very eyes. He said there was a huge tarantula out there fighting in a fight with what is called a tarantula wasp. And this thing, folks, is the size of a hummingbird. And they fought, that wasp buzzed that tarantula, and the tarantula was reared up and ready to strike. And finally, that tarantula came in for the killer sting and and flipped that tarantula over and inserted the stinger into his abdomen. The problem was for the tarantula wasp that that tarantula was able to sink his talons into that tarantula wasp. And so the tarantula wasp fell over after after a a few seconds dead. It looked like both of them had been killed. But what happened as as the, the guide kept her hand on the shoulder of Mark was that he saw that tarantula finally come to and flip itself back over and slowly crawl away. And he turned to the guide and he said, I guess the tarantula won, didn't he? And the guide said, no Mark, that's what I wanted you to see. That animal is called a tarantula wasp because in that battle she bears her young. She flipped that tarantula over and when she was stinging him she was inserting into his abdomen her eggs. And that tarantula was paralyzed for a second but that tarantula crawls off and what is going to happen inside that tarantula is that slowly those eggs are going to hatch and develop into larvae and the larvae will live by the juices of that tarantula until the tarantula has no energy of its own and dies and more tarantula wasps are born out of that. Now I know that's gross, I know it's ugly, I'm I'm sorry for that You know, but I wanted you to have as graphic a picture as possible how we believe that Satan is not somebody that we really contend with because there's only been a couple instances in our lives when we've had huge kinds of battles with him. And most of the time we just kind of operate on our own. But I want you to know Satan plants. Things that live in us and take our energy in order to exist. Satan is an interior fighter. And therefore, the more we are not aware of what is living and growing in us, the more we can rationalize these thoughts we have, the more we are able to die bit by bit because he has planted something in us that is totally totally antithetical, parasitical to our life. How does he work? First of all, one of the things he plants in us is increased desire. If you will read in, in uh, Genesis 3, is a very clear picture. Satan comes down to paradise. I don't want to call it the Garden of Eden, I want to call it paradise because that's what it was. These people have everything necessary to a happy life. And the first thing Satan brings up is the only thing they can't have. Did God say that you can't eat of any tree in the garden? See, right away he's negative. And he's beginning to increase their desire for something. And they say, well, no, God didn't say that. They just just said about this one tree. And they focus their attention on something they're forbidden to have. And folks, they keep it there. All of a sudden, they're not thinking about every tree of the garden that they're allowed to eat from. They're thinking about that one thing that they can't have. And Satan increases the desire for that thing. See, that's what he works on. He works the same way that Madison Avenue works on us today. You know why you have commercial TV? So that they can increase your desires for something you don't have and make you dissatisfied with what you do have. It is just the opposite of Paul who said I can be content if I don't have anything or I can be content if I have a lot. No matter what you have or you don't have commercial TV is presented to you so that you can increase your desires. And you can want something you don't have that you didn't even know you wanted. See? That's how Satan works. He increases your desires. I want you to see one thing. I want you to contrast that with Jesus in the wilderness. Jesus didn't have a paradise. They had a paradise. They had everything they needed to eat. Jesus had starved for 40 days. And when it came to talking to Satan, they wanted more. And Jesus said, I've got enough. That is the difference in facing Satan. I had somebody call me up one time to offer me this great credit card. And he says, let me tell you what you're going to be able to do with this credit card. Now, this man wasn't of Satan. I don't, he wasn't of Satan. And every time you want something, it's not satanic. You know, it's not like Satan's hopped on your bones. <laughs> but listen, you've got to be real careful about what makes you dissatisfied with what you already have. Because that's exactly the opposite of what the Spirit of God would do. And this guy calls me up and starts giving me this big spiel. And I said, no, wait a minute. I'm satisfied with what I have. I don't want any more. There was this long pause. He says, no, wait, you don't understand this. Let me tell you about this. He goes into this thing, all, of, all the free gifts I'm going to get, all this stuff. And I said, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm happy with what I have. I don't want any more. This long pause And then these words, well, you're just nuts. (laughs) See, nobody can imagine anybody being happy with what they got and being thankful for what they got. And there are times when I desire certain things, but i got to watch those very closely to make sure that that's what God wants for me Rather than, that's a trick of Satan to increase my desires. Let me, let me take you to the second one. He increases doubt, and we saw that very well this morning in the play. C.S. Lewis is brilliant. What he does is he casts dispersions on the character of God. He not only increases your desires, he says, God will never give you this. You can't have this if you take it to God. And all of a sudden, you're saying to yourself, God wants to keep from me good things. I mean, things that are good for me. And you're starting to say, God doesn't understand me. Well, I'm not sure God is good after all. You know, a heyday that Satan has is when people say, how could God let this happen? Because what we're doing there is we're questioning out of our pain the intention of God. And that's what Satan wants. Now, it's a natural question to ask. But chase it down until you get the answer. Please don't stop there. Because Satan will just say, I just want you to think about that for a while. Don't get an answer to it. Just think about it for a while. I want you to doubt God's intention for you because God can't give you what I can give you. And God can't get you what you can get on your own. And you can get what you can get from God later. Then... He increases vain pride. Do-it-yourself shortcuts. Friends, there is no shortcut to spiritual maturity. None, 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 none. You say, how can I know what is of God, what is of the flesh, and what is of Satan? And I say to you that unless you are given a special gift of discernment by the Holy Spirit, the only way you're going to be able to tell is spiritual maturity. Well, how can I get there? Time. Study. Fellowship. There is no shortcut. And no amount of vain pride, no personal opinion, no amount of your opinion is as good as anybody else's is going to get you there, friend. Let me go on. He counterfeits good. This is his specialty. Listen, if God can say to you, you see that girl over there, I think you, I'm sorry, Satan, say to you, see a girl over there, I think you love her. And you can say, nah, this is just lust. You know, I don't even know her. You don't have to know somebody all that well to love them. Look at that feeling inside you. Brother, that's love. And if it feels good, it's coming from God. See? The Bible says to love somebody, you got to know somebody. The Bible says Adam knew Eve. And the only realistic love can be built on information. And if Satan can counterfeit your lust and pass it off as love, brother, he's going to have a heyday. And in like manner, now let me turn the tables here. If Satan can get you to be good without having faith, that is great. Listen, Satan's activity is not essentially moral. It is spiritual. And therefore, if he can get you to live the best Christian life of anybody in the community, but never rely on God for it, he has achieved his accomplishment. He has achieved his purpose. How many, how, many, how many funerals have you ever been to and people stand there and say, you know, this guy was not religious, but he was one of the best people I've ever known and if anybody deserves a place in heaven, he does. See? See how Satan has substituted, counterfeited goodness for holiness. See, counterfeit is something that looks real. But when you try to spend it, when you try to cash it in, it's worthless. And human goodness without faith in God is absolutely worthless. Spiritually speaking. All right, let's go on. Satan kills. Now I know this is a tall order for you because there are a lot of evil people that you just look like they're so alive and boy, they got more energy than I have. It was hard for Adam and Eve to, to realize how they, by eating that forbidden fruit, had died. Satan said, you're not going to die? Are you really believe that? you really believe little old me can kill you or doing something can kill you? No, I don't believe that stuff. But let me tell you something. and I, Let me just give you an illustration that all of you will recognize. Because you all have known people that have been absolutely devoured of Satan. I bet you anything. There was a guy I knew 15 years ago. And this person was one of the best people I ever knew. He loved his family. He loved God. He loved life. He was positive. And the more I hung around this guy, the more I began to imitate this person. Because he had in his life what I wanted to have in my life. And somewhere along the line, friends, Satan counterfeited some stuff that he wanted awful bad. He raised those desires. He cast doubt upon how all-encompassing, satisfying God was. He increased vain pride, and this guy went after it. And he found himself in a position... Where he could no longer be the person he once was, even if he tried. Listen, that man is dead. He's still walking around, and I know him, and I talk to him, and I can love him as a Christian brother. He has not lost his salvation. He is still struggling with the same person that used to be now you know people like that don't you even though they've got the same body they are not the same people they have been devoured by Satan our job in response to people like that is to love them afresh is to, is to, is to form a relationship with them that is compassionate and loving and never lets go but emotionally folks you've got a funeral service to go through And that's that. And you've got a new person to love. Satan kills. Now, let's talk about our defense. Now that we are all sufficiently depressed, let's talk about our defense. Let's turn to 1 Peter, the scripture reading. First of all, I switched these two I want you to be on the alert. I want you to be on the alert. In 2 Corinthians 2.11, it says, Brothers, we would not have you ignorant of the schemes of Satan. The first step in fighting Satan is to know that he's active, that he can be very personal with you in your reactions to things, that he will grow inside of you, and that that fruit will bear other fruit. I want you to be taught and I want you to be alert to yourself, what's happening inside of you. I want you to take seriously your anger. I want you to take seriously your depression. I want you to take seriously your reaction to to, to, to events and to people and know what is growing inside of you. And if that is negative and that is bitter, I want you to ask where that's coming from. Be on the alert. Secondly, be sober. You know, there was a part in that play that was so true. If we can make light of Satan, if we can laugh, which is what we want to do when we consider something that heavy, because, see, we have two reactions to things that make us nervous. One is tears and the other is laughter. And things that make us real nervous, if we can make a joke out of it, we can cope better with it. But that is a dangerous way to go. Because if you can make a joke out of it, what happens is that he loses all seriousness. You cannot be sober anymore. And being sober means to not be mixed in with other stuff. It means to keep a clear picture of something. And so if we laugh at him, we're going to mix him in with the rest of the world, aren't we? I mean, if we can just get somebody to say, the devil made me do it, or some other kind of silly kind of thing, and we can laugh at it, that mixes right in with our natural greed. And so we can just say, yeah, that's human, I've got nothing to fear. But if we can treat it soberly, then we've got a handle on it. Ephesians says, Put on the armor of God, and that's going to be read to you in just a little while. I'll leave that one alone. James 4 7 and Peter 5 9. Let me read 1 Peter 5 9, and and you read it with me. Not aloud, but in your heart. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, but resist him. Firm in your faith. Let me just tell you something here. Resistance is something that is a positive thing when it comes to Satan. And it's something that you can do that will help you take a stand. Many times Christians get crucified in mediocrity. You ever seen a question mark? They get crucified on a question mark. Because they will not take a stand. Now, you don't always have to take a stand. You don't always have to react immediately. But when you have discerned God's will in something, you need to take a stand. Don't get crucified by being tossed back and forth. All right? The Bible says clearly, resist Him. That's our part. And then we talk about God's part. God's part is this, that we are able to rest in the present intercessory work of Christ in that in that John passage it's, t- it's praying for his disciples and it says father I'm not asking you to take them out of the world I'm asking you to keep them from the evil one you think we got you, you think we got friends down here on earth that love us and are pulling for us Jesus Christ is himself our intercessor and here's where I want... everyone Let me just stand up to say this. You have nothing to fear if you rest on the work of Jesus Christ. If you try to cope with Satan on your own strength, you haven't got that much strength because Satan is more persistent than you are. But if you can rest on the intersexory work of Jesus Christ and you can claim that victory God is going to help you somehow develop good out of evil develop order out of chaos that's what he does best that's how he started the world folks and it's not it might not be an automatic miracle cure God it either gotta be right now or it's not gonna happen at all what it has to be is a continual trust in Jesus Christ and friends, if there's things inside you right now that you know are of Satan and you know are eating you up day by day, you can't get them out. The Bible also has a formula for that. Write this down if you don't know it. It's in 1 John. Uh-oh. What does it say? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. Which one? Nine. 1 John 1.9? 1, okay, thank you. 1 John 1, 1.9. The scriptural prescription for that is confessing those things. And the Bible says if we confess our sins He is faithful and just and will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I can just see some of you saying, well all this is good but man there's something inside of me right now. How do I get rid of it? You confess it. And you trust God to begin to wash away that thing that's eaten you up inside. And let me, before the last story, just invite you to do that before you leave today. After every service, we have elders that are available for prayer. And some of you feel very comfortable in doing that. And you can can rest on the assurance that God receives that prayer. But friends, there's something extra when you confess it to a fellow Christian. And you share that burden. And that fellow Christian is able to say to you, go and sin no more. Your sins are forgiven. And so if that, if that would help you, come up and say prayer afterwards. You know, I love meeting you after the service and seeing your friends and that kind of thing. But let me do that at the back of the sanctuary, okay? And let's save this spot up here for prayer. And have that a special time when we can go to God. And if you have needs, that you can come, you can come forward and you know that you're going to be greeted there by somebody who wants to pray with you as to your own individual needs. Just one story to give credit to God, and then we're going to praise Him. About a little boy who worked real hard, had a real touch with woodcrafting. And one day he made this boat, and folks, it was a beauty. I mean, he carved it. He didn't do it in one day. He did it over a period of about a month. He carved this thing. He loved this thing. He put a sail on that thing, and that was his boat. And then he went to a lake to see if it would float, and he put it down in that lake, and he blew on it, and it kind of floated a little bit, boy, he just thought that was great, and he blew on it again, and it floated out, and then the wind began to take it, and he realized he didn't have a string on that thing, and that wind took that boat out of his sight, and he didn't see it again, Until he was walking down the streets of that city one day and passed a craft shop and saw in the window his boat. And he went in and he said to the owner, he says, that's my boat. I made that boat. And the owner says, hey, I don't know anything about that. All I know is I bought it from somebody. And if you want that boat back, you're going to have to buy it from me. And he had so much of himself in that boat. He said, how much is it? He told him some outrageous price. But he went and he worked and he worked and he worked until he saved up enough money to buy that boat. And he went in that store that day and he bought that boat and he hugged that boat and he said, you're my boat twice. Once because I made you and once because I bought you. You are not the property of Satan. You're the property of God. Once because he made you. And once because he bought you on a cross. Let's pray. Father, help us not to be afraid of Satan. Other than having caution. Help us to have a greater respect for you. Help us to know that Satan is a bluffer. And if we can say to him, go ahead in the strength of Jesus Christ and do what you will and God will still win, that that breaks his power over us. Give us that focus on you, we pray in the spirit of Christ. Amen.